Hey everybody, welcome back. In today's video, we're talking about the subconscious mind. What a neat, powerful, short chapter. Maybe one of the shortest chapters of the book. Have you read it yet? If you haven't read it recently, pause this video, read chapter 12, The Subconscious Mind, and then come on back and hear what I believe some of the key points are. I think that's important because there's a lot of great information in this chapter, although it's short. There's some powerful stuff here and I wanna make sure that it's fresh at the top of your minds before you move forward watching this video. So I'm assuming if you continue, you've just read the chapter. The whole idea of this video series, of course, is to read one chapter, come on, watch the video, and then do the journaling exercises in the success guide available for download below so that you can actually implement these 13 principles in your own life. Put them into play to get whatever results you desire. So key points in chapter 12, the subconscious mind, what are they? First point is voluntarily. I'm on page 180 now. Napoleon says you may voluntarily plant in your subconscious mind any plan, thought, or purpose which you desire to translate into its physical or monetary equivalent. The subconscious acts first on the dominating desires which have been mixed with emotional feeling such as faith. Then he goes on to say, you cannot entirely control your subconscious mind, but you can voluntarily hand over to it any plan, desire, or purpose which you wish transformed into concrete form. And I'm jumping over to page 181. The 13 principles are the stimuli with which you acquire the ability to reach and to influence your subconscious mind. Do not become discouraged if you cannot do this upon the first attempt. Remember that the subconscious mind may be voluntarily directed only through habit under the directions given in the chapter on faith. You have not yet had time to master faith. Be patient, be persistent. So I think that's such a powerful idea here. The, the fact that we can't control our subconscious mind necessarily, but we can certainly voluntarily hand over to it any plan or desire or purpose that we wish to transform in any shape, any way into its physical or monetary equivalent. So the entire lens, the entire filter through which we're going through this video series is that you can literally replace the word money, wealth and riches with anything you want in life. So if the one thing that you want is let's say uh, a better relationship, you can voluntarily hand over that desire to your subconscious mind. It's in your control. If you want more peace of mind, if you want to think and become, you know, think and have peace of mind or think and become peaceful, you can do that. You can voluntarily hand over to your subconscious mind that desire. I mean, it's such a powerful, powerful idea. So keep that in mind now as we read through the balance of this chapter and we talk about some of the other key points here. Next one's a big one, the science of prayer. I am absolutely fascinated by this idea. So I'm gonna start on page 180 and we're actually, this theme or this key idea of science of prayer kinda really carries through and is a common thread throughout this entire chapter. So I'm gonna start on page 180 here. 
Napoleon says that the subconscious mind is the connecting link between the finite mind of man and infinite intelligence. It is the intermediary through which one may draw upon the forces of infinite intelligence at will. It alone contains the secret process by which mental impulses are modified and changed into their spiritual equivalent. It alone is the medium through which prayer may be transmitted to the source capable of answering prayer. Wow. We're going to move over to one page, uh, to page 184 now. He goes on to say, if you are an observing person, you must have noticed that most people resort to prayer only after everything else has failed or else they pray by a ritual of meaningless words. And because it is a fact that most people who pray do so only after everything else has failed, they go to prayer with their minds filled with fear and doubt, which are the emotions the subconscious mind acts upon and passes on to infinite intelligence. Likewise, that is the emotion which infinite intelligence receives and acts upon. Going over to 185 here. If you pray for a thing, but have fear as you pray, that you may not receive it, or that your prayer will not be acted upon by infinite intelligence, your prayer will have been in vain. Prayer does sometimes result in the realization of that for which one prays. If you have ever had the experience of receiving that for which you prayed, go back in your memory and recall your actual state of mind while you were praying. And you will know for sure that the theory here described is more than a theory. The time will come when the schools and educational institutions of the country will teach the science of prayer. Moreover, then prayer may be and will be reduced to a science. When that time comes, it will come as soon as mankind is ready for it and demands it. No one will approach the universal mind in a state of fear for the very good reason that there will be no such emotion as fear. Ignorance, superstition, and false teaching will have disappeared and man will have attained his true status as a child of infinite intelligence. Men know that this living, pulsating, vibratory energy which permeates every atom of matter and fills every niche of space connects every human brain with every other human brain. What reason have men to believe that this same energy does not connect every human brain with infinite intelligence? There are no toll gates between the finite mind of man and infinite intelligence. The communication costs nothing except patience, faith, persistence, understanding, and a sincere desire to communicate. Moreover, the approach can be made only by the individual himself. Paid prayers are worthless. Infinite intelligence does no business by proxy. You either go direct or you do not communicate. 
Last piece here on 186. The subconscious mind is the intermediary which translates one's prayers into terms with infinite intelligence can recognize, presents the message, and brings back the answer in the form of a definite plan or idea for procuring the object of prayer. Understand this principle and you will know why mere words read from a prayer book cannot and will never serve as an agency of communication between the mind of man and infinite intelligence. Wow, so this idea of the science of of prayer, this is radically different than what I grew up learning um, as uh, as an Irish Catholic. (laughs) This is radical for me. This is way out there for me. But I'm so fascinated by it and I'm so accepting of it. And I think this whole idea of the science of prayer is huge. You know, um, oftentimes it's called the law of attraction. It's called, you know, manifesting what it is we want in life. I mean, there's all sorts of different entry points into this idea. But I think what Napoleon writes about here in the 12th chapter is so fascinating. And I think he's onto something. I believe in the science of prayer. And, um, you know, with the advent of fMRI machines and, you know, the, the education on the reticular activation system within our brains, and there's something here. There's no doubt in my mind. And this year actually is one of the years that I really wanted to study the art and science of manifestation. And um, I can tell you uh, with full confidence from a personal standpoint that this stuff works. This stuff is real. Um, And I hope that as you learn the 13 principles of this book, and I hope as you maybe experiment with this thing called the science of prayer, you put your prayer to good use. You know, one of the dangers about so many of these things when you're studying influence or when you're studying, you know, this sort of material is if it gets in the wrong hands, it can, of course, be detrimental to society, to culture, to the world at large. So I'm hoping that like me, you are putting some of these principles into play in your own life uh, for the greater good, for your good, for the good of the people around you, for the good of your community, and ultimately for the greater good of the world. So I trust that you two are doing that. Next point here, desirable food. I'm on page 181. He says, remember, your subconscious mind functions voluntarily, whether you make any effort to influence it or not. This naturally suggests to you that thoughts of fear and poverty and all negative thoughts serve as stimuli to your subconscious mind unless you master these impulses and give it more desirable food upon which it may feed. So think about your daily routine. Think about the average environment that you keep. What sort of food are you feeding your mind? Is it healthy food? Is it unhealthy food? Is it neutral? You know, what kind of calories are you intaking into your brain every day? This is such a powerful idea because a lot of us don't think about brain food, right? And when we talk about brain food, we think about food that's, you know, physical food that we can eat and digest that actually is healthy for our brains. But we don't think about mind food We don't thinking about the information that we're putting in to our mind. 
So what a cool idea here. I used to go, you know, every time I'd get in the car, you know, the radio would be on. The moment I turn the car, radio's on, listen to whatever's there. Man, many years I just shut it off. And that was such a good decision for me to just shut down the noise and to just be radically present when I'm in the car, especially when I'm by myself, and to almost do a little meditation. Not to the point where I'm completely checked out while driving, of course, but it's just really nice to be present with my surroundings, pay attention to the road, pay attention to the people in the cars around me. That's so much better for me because I can start to really tune in to the present moment, gather my thoughts, prepare for what I'm about to do next. And if I am listening to something in the car, rather than listening to the radio or some talk show, I always appreciate listening to something that advances me in the direction of my dreams, something that pertains to my own learning and, and, and growth, right? So think about the food that you're feeding your mind day in and day out and ask yourself, is it conducive to your success or does it limit you in your ability to reach that level of success, whatever that may be? Next idea here. Control the door. I love this one. I'm on page 182 now. Napoleon says, you are now engaged in trying to help shut oil, shut oil the flow. I think, <laughs> I think it's shut off the flow. You are now engaged, by the way, Tribeca Books, couple errors in this one. Just want to let you know. I love this copy though, by the way, because it's big and I can make notes in the margins. Um, it almost feels like a workbook for me. So going back to the controlling the door, this key point here, you are now engaged in trying to help shut off the flow of negative impulses and to aid in voluntarily influencing your subconscious mind through positive impulse of desire. When you achieve this, you will possess the key which unlocks the door to your subconscious mind. Moreover, you will control that door so completely that no undesirable thought may influence your subconscious mind. So that's a neat metaphor to use, isn't it? You can control the door. Uh, who is it? I think it's Tony Robbins who always says, stand guard at the door to your mind. And that's what Napoleon almost 100 years earlier has been saying here is you can control the door to your subconscious mind. That's what I believe our conscious mind Part of its function is to control what goes, you know, what passes along to our subconscious mind and what doesn't. Think about kids. I think was it the was it the Jesuits, maybe I think it was, who said, you know, give me the boy and by age six or seven I'll I'll show you the man. You know, why did they say that? I think it was because when you're little, you know, if you look at your brain, if you look at your head and you basically say, okay, you know, subconscious mind is below, you carve it in half conscious mind above, we actually don't really have that much of a conscious mind as children, do we? Like it's all subconscious, baby. It's just a memory recording device. And we're just soaking up everything like a sponge. We believe in everything. You know, we get told these stories by culture and parents and society and family and friends, and we just soak it all up. We, 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 we don't question anything. Like we don't necessarily have a judgment muscle at that point or a discrimination muscle at that point. We don't necessarily think about the information we're taking and say, ah, you know, is that really true? Can that really happen? Right? We just take it all in and our subconscious stores it, right? So we're so um, influenceable between the ages of zero and six or seven. And all of a sudden then we build and grow that conscious part of our brain. So 
that conscious part of our brain now serves as adults. It serves now as the door to our subconscious mind. And we have to be very cautious and very protective. And we have to control that door consistently every day so that we only allow those thoughts or the information we take in that's empowering to us, that's conducive to our success. We only let that stuff in. Everything else we can throw out, right? So really powerful idea here. Next key idea, magnet pattern or blueprint. I'm on page 182 again. He says, thoughts which go out from one's mind also embed themselves deeply in one's subconscious mind where they serve as a magnet pattern or blueprint by which the subconscious mind is influenced while translating them into their physical equivalent. Thoughts are truly things for the reason that every material thing begins in the form of thought energy. So when we have these thoughts, it's, it creates like a magnet, right? That's that reticular activation system again. Have you ever been in the market to buy something? The most common example talked about is a car, right? You're in the market to buy you know, a, 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 a white Toyota Camry. And then all of a sudden, everywhere on the road, you see the same make, model, and even color of the car you were looking to buy. Well, you're not a trendsetter, I hate to tell you. Those cars have already always been out on the road. But all of a sudden, that certain function in your mind kicks in, it activates, and it helps you take in from your environment what matters most. I think it's something like uh, our five senses every second process, I believe it's 11 million bits of information every second of the day. I mean, talk about overwhelm, right? And then our conscious mind filters like 50 bits each sec second. So 50 of 11 million bytes every second we take in. I heard this example once, they likened it to 11 million toothpicks falling out of the sky every second and your conscious mind reaches out and grabs just 50 of those 11 million toothpicks every second that's falling out of the sky, takes them, organizes them, and then uses them for your own either you know ability to survive or thrive, right? So fascinating stuff here. So we become magnetized with our thoughts. We will seek out whatever it is our thoughts suggest. Our thoughts become our reality. So whatever, our, you know, whatever in our environment, we'll pay attention, folks, on the things that we're thinking about, the things that we want, the things that we believe. And I love here where he says that thoughts are truly things for the reason that every material thing begins in the form of thought energy. So isn't that true? I mean, I don't know where you're watching this video from right now, but take a moment. And take a moment and look. Look at your surroundings. Every single thing around you, if you're on your mobile device, wearing your headphones, on a desk, wherever you're watching this video from, every single thing in your environment, every physical item once began as a thought. You know, I'll prove it. Um, I think I need to read this book. Got the book. I think I need to mark it up with a pencil. The pencil showed up in my environment. I think I need to make the sound better. So I bought a microphone here. I can't really show you that. I think I need to light myself up a little bit better because the lighting in this room that I'm locked in during coronavirus isn't that great. Bought a little light, right? So everything that you think becomes present in your physical environment. Look around your room. See if there's one thing you can find in your room that you didn't think of first or that someone else didn't think of first. 
A lot of times people say, well, Sean, well, the exception is the gift. I mean, I didn't think about this. Well, that other person did. It was born with their thought. You know, that other person said, hey, you know, I think you, I think so-and-so would really like this for their birthday and they bought it for you. So it did still originate from a thought. It's fascinating stuff. Next key point here, speak its language feeling. So I'm on page 183. Napoleon says, the subconscious mind is more susceptible to influence by impulses of thought mixed with feeling or emotion than by those originating solely in the reasoning portion of the mind. In fact, there is much evidence to support the theory that only emotionalized thoughts have any action influence upon the subconscious mind. Emotion or feeling rules the majority of people. If it is true that the subconscious mind responds more quickly to and is influenced more readily by thought impulses which are well mixed with emotion, it is essential to become familiar with the more important of the emotions. There are seven major positive emotions and seven major negative emotions. The negatives voluntarily inject themselves into the thought impulses which ensure passage into the subconscious mind. The positives must, must be injected through the principle of auto-suggestion into the thought impulses which an individual wishes to pass on to his subconscious mind. These emotions or feeling impulses may be likened to yeast in a loaf of bread because they constitute the action element which transfers thought impulses from the passive to the active state. Thus, may one understand why thought impulses, which have been well mixed with emotion, are acted upon more readily than thought impulses originating in cold reason. You must speak its language or it will not heed your call. It understands best the language of emotion or feeling. This is so important. Back in the chapter on faith, chapter number three, I believe, and chapter number four on auto-suggestion, he, he really drills down this point, if you remember. He says you have to mix emotion with some of these thoughts. As you think through these thoughts and as you try to bury them into your subconscious mind, if you're not speaking the language of your thub subconscious mind, which is emotionalizing these thoughts or giving them some feeling and really doing it, you're wasting your time. You know, he said that as you read through the six steps on desire in chapter number two, just the mere reading it won't do anything. He's telling you right up front, just reading it won't do anything. You have to read it, commit it to memory, and then repeat it through auto-suggestion with that emotion. And then he outlines here the seven major positive emotions and the seven major negative emotions. So I won't get into that here. I trust that you're Either or you've already read this chapter or you will shortly after the video. But that's so powerful, isn't it? To, to, to learn and understand the language of our subconscious mind. Talk about giving us that edge to really help us influence our own subconscious minds, right? So food for thought, no pun. All right, next key idea here. Key point, dominating influence. I'm on page 184. He says, positive and negative emotions cannot occupy the mind at the same time. One or the other must dominate. 
It is your responsibility to make sure that positive emotions constitute the dominating influence of your mind. Form the habit of applying and using the positive emotions. Eventually, they will dominate your mind so completely that the negatives cannot enter it. What a powerful thing. You can't have positive and negative emotions at the same time. They can't exist together. And if you follow Bruce Lipton, if you've read The Biology of Belief, what a neat, incredible read. If you haven't already, I'd suggest, highly suggest reading Biology of Belief. But you know what he says is, you know, as far as biology is concerned, a cell, if a cell is in contraction mode and protective mode and doesn't like what it sees in its environment, it can't grow. If it's in fear, it, there's no growth, right? But if it's open and it's, you know, I'm in this example positive, it's if it's open to its environment, it feels safe, it's in growth mode. So when you're dominating thoughts, if you're influenced primarily by negative thoughts, man, you are in growth mode, you are stagnant, right? And if you're not contributing and you're becoming eliminated, it's nature's law. If you're not growing, you're dying. We've all heard that before. So this is a good reality check here. Like what are the dominating thoughts that you allow to influence your mind and to the degree that you can shift them to be more, the allocation to be more positive than negative, you're gonna learn and grow faster, right? And I don't think it's realistic to say that, you know, we never have any negative thoughts. Of course we do. But as more and more of our thoughts are saturated to the positive, we're going to be able to catch some of those negative thoughts a lot quicker. And it takes practice. Like he suggests, it's a habit that we have to build over time. I don't believe it's overnight. I think it's a habit that we need to be aware of and work on consistently over time and will finally dominate our thoughts, having that primarily influ primary influence of our thoughts be skewed positive over negative. So cool concept there. Next key idea, a single negative. Here's what's so critical and scary. On page 184 he, here, he says that the presence of a single negative in your conscious mind is sufficient to destroy all chances of constructive aid from your subconscious mind. Let me repeat that because I think it's that important. The presence of a single negative in your conscious mind is sufficient to destroy all chances of constructive aid from your subconscious mind. I believe that, and that's pretty scary. That's why we have to stand guard. It's so critical we stand guard at the door to our subconscious mind, right? Because one small little negative can completely take us off track. I mean, haven't you been there? I've been there before where I'm having a great day, everything's going well, and then like there's just one little you know, thought comes into my head and all of a sudden, boom, I'm down 10 different rabbit holes of negativity, <laughs> right? So we gotta stand guard. We gotta be aware of the fact that a single negative can significantly take us off course. Final key point here is radio. And we're gonna talk about this broadcasting principle in the next chapter on the brain. But he does talk about it a little bit here at the end of this chapter. He says that, I'm on page 185 now. He says that thoughts which you wish to communicate to infinite intelligence must undergo transformation 
such as can be given only through your subconscious mind. The method by which you may communicate with infinite intelligence is very similar to that through which the vibration of sound is communicated by radio. If you understand the working principle of radio, you of course know that sound cannot be communicated through the ether until it has been stepped up or changed into a rate of vibration which the human ear cannot detect. The radio sending station picks up the sound of the human voice and scrambles or modifies it by stepping up the vibration millions of times. Only in this way can the vibration of sound be communicated through the ether. After this transformation has taken place, the ether picks up the energy, which originally was in the form of vibrations of sound, carries that energy to radio receiving stations, and these receiving sets step that energy back down to its original rate of vibration, so it is recognized as sound. What a brilliant metaphor, because back then, when was it, late 20s, 1929-ish, I believe? Let's see. Yeah, you know, this, this copy doesn't actually say, I think this was late 20s is when this was originally published or written, maybe it was late 30s, maybe it was 1939. I'll have to check. But what a brilliant metaphor Napoleon's using here. He's referring to this idea of stepping up your thoughts with emotion so that they can make it to your subconscious mind and ultimately so that you may receive some ideas and some signals and some guidance from infinite intelligence. And he uses this metaphor, the radio, this broadcasting principle, as we'll learn in the next video and in the next chapter on the brain. That's just brilliant. What an easy way to understand this. Got it. You know, the radio frequencies are stepped up to a certain vibration, passed through the ether, stepped back down, communicated, got it. So I think that's a really cool and very progressive idea for Napoleon to use back then nearly 100 years ago. Radio was basically new back then, right? So I hope you enjoyed this video on chapter 12, The Subconscious Mind. The next video, we're gonna cover chapter 13, which is all about the brain. So if you like what you saw and heard here today, be sure to like this video, share it with a friend. Also subscribe so you don't miss out on any future videos that I will be publishing within this series as well as future series. So I hope you enjoyed it. Looking forward to seeing you and serving you in the next video.